0: The focus for this year is partnerships, 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 partnerships. Uh, there's a guy who leads one of our mastermind calls, uh, Victor. He's in the mobile home park space. And and we were talking to him the other night about how do you underwrite deals these days, you know, where interest rates are going? He said this thing it is such common sense. And I'm just not I, I wasn't thinking about it. He goes, well, I believe that interest rates are going to go up by the end of the year, they're going to continue to go up. So if I'm making an offer today, knowing that I'm not going to close on it within three you know, months, maybe then I'm going to go and write it where I think interest rates are going to be. But it's guys like that, that I, I'm surrounding myself with, and we're all just collaborating and pushing ourselves upwards. Random times, I'll come in with a really good idea and, and really good thought that they haven't thought of and vice versa. If I look back on our investing journey, when we we're trying to do it ourselves, very slow roll right but uh with partnerships in the last two three years has really put us on a nice trajectory
1: you're listening to the gorilla state investing podcast We're not here to bruise your bananas with guru sales pitches, overrated fluff, or any other kind of monkey business. We simply provide the ground-pounding truth about what it takes to be successful in real estate. All right, Gorillas, today's guest is Jay Helms. and normally I would tell you where the guest is from, but Jay is pretty much a nomad at this point, <laughs> uh, him and his wife uh, and and three kids travel around the United States in an RV and they pretty much go to different Airbnbs. They've actually rented their primary residence out as an Airbnb and kind of adapted to this, this nomadic lifestyle that COVID has brought on. But Jay is uh, a partner with W2 Capitalists. He's also the author of Make an Offer. Uh, And fun fact about Jay, him and his wife met on a reality TV show in Costa Rica called The Catch, which is based around fishing. So quite an interesting background, Jay. But before we get into diving a little deeper, what I do want to say to my listeners out there, if you haven't done so, if you like or get any value from this podcast today, pay your taxes. Go over to Facebook, join From Middle Class to Millionaire for our Facebook group. We put out motivational educational stuff daily. Uh, join us and let's get you out of the middle class. Jay,
0: brother, how you doing today? I'm great. I've had, I just noticed I went to pick up my coffee cup and I started shaking a little bit. I was like, all right, wait a minute. I've I've had a little too much. Let's 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 calm down on the coffee. So I'm gonna to switch to water. But I'm great, man. <laughs> I didn't know there was such a thing as too much coffee, man. <laughs> the first I'm qu- good. <laughs> I'm good for like a cup and I had a jumbo cup this morning cuz I wanted to be on point with uh talking to you and know we were talking this is getting kind of early for me now and, and yeah. nine a.m. central which is kind of weird to say kind of to early. get up at 4. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so good, I, man. I wanted to make sure I was amped and so I am to the shaking phase. I'm I'm amped. Let's go good now that we got you all
1: jazzed up jay
0: what are you doing to get your ass out of the middle class uh i, I would say the focus for this year is partnerships 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 when it comes to investing and, and adjusting to what the market's given us you know um uh, there's a guy who leads one of our mastermind calls uh, victor he's in the mobile home park space and and we were talking to him the other night about now, what do you how do you underwrite deals these days you know where interest rates are going he said this thing it is such common sense and I'm just not I, I wasn't thinking about it he goes well he goes I believe that interest rates are going to go up right and by the end of the year they're going to continue to go up so if I'm making an offer today knowing that I'm not going to close on it within three three to you know months maybe then I'm going to go underwriting where I think interest rates are going to be And it's guys like that. uh, uh, Victor and I are partnering on on, uh, uh, something right now, but it's guys like that that I'm surrounding myself with. And we're all just collaborating and pushing ourselves upwards Um, because I at random times, I'll come in with a really good idea and and really good thought that they haven't thought of and vice versa. Right. But partnerships is, is really, if I look back on our investing journey, when we're trying to do it ourselves, the very slow roll right yeah. but uh with partnerships in the last 2 3 years has really put us on a nice trajectory of um of getting out of the middle class which is I don't know if it even exists anymore. If it, if it does, it may not exist in 10 years, I should say, the way hey that Hey man, our uh, Facebook groups things are got going. Got a good name.
1: Don't you say anything.
0: No, I, I know. I don't want to backtrack from that. It still does exist, but man, if if you're if you're listening to this and you're not convinced that the middle class is trying to be squashed, you're going to end up on one one end of it or the other and you don't want to go down. You just don't. You know? so me and Jay had a great laugh before I started
1: the 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 episode because uh he had a Facebook post that was kind of him looking out <laughs> into a lake drinking coffee, and the the words that came up says when you when your was it your your passive rental Ooh. outpaces your w two income and then yeah. during talk when talking to him, he said that he had uh started this nomadic lifestyle because he'd been he had been laid off due to COVID. And I said, Hey, <laughs> is, is that, is that because you got laid off now all your real income outpasses it? And the answer is no. Uh, so you had a W-2 for a long time, I'm guessing, right? Six figure income, but you yep. were able to find the time, call it a, a real estate side hustle to be yeah. able to surpass your regular W-2 income. Tell, take me back to where you got started with that W-2, because most of our listeners currently have a W-2, and they're looking yeah. for a way to get out of the middle class via passive income. How did you do it?
0: So, so my, my W-2 was, I was in the IT world, and I'm a propeller head, I'm a computer nerd by trade, by, you know, by qualification, certification, whatnot. And the biggest thing that got me out of that and started really opening me up to this whole wealth building you know, concept is getting that first deal done right and getting that first very first deal done uh, i was talking to a a guy uh, robert leonard i don't know if you know robert or not but uh, asking him hey what does it take to get your first deal done because i don't know but you you what at whatever cost you just need to get the first one done you know i'm like well maybe not at whatever cost but put some put some um education around it and make sure that you're not just going in and blindly throwing money at a deal but i i look back at um you know, very first deal that that my wife and I did seven, eight years ago, and it was a it was a twenty five thousand dollars purchase. Okay, it was a foreclosure. It was a one bedroom, one bath house, and the fear that I had going into man, this is this is all the money that we've got. This is all our savings, right? And and what if we buy this thing and we end up going bankrupt? You know, until until today, right? So two weeks ago, I wired uh, 25,000 to invest in a syndication. I'm about to, the thing I'm doing with Victor. We we're talking about earlier. I'm about to go, uh, sign some paperwork with a notary and, and wire him some money, uh, another 25,000. And that's about a third of our, our investing budget that we're going to do this year. And I don't have the same fears as that. Like if these things, like I understand the risk now, right. Yeah. We're, we're very well educated in that. um, and there's some other multifamily stuff that we're, we're looking at, uh, the remainder of this year, but it's, it's getting over that fear. Like, you know, I've learned to trust my gut. Number one, don't, th- don't like educate yourself, read up, but then it comes down to, you got to make the decision, right? And what's your gut telling you? And there's a lot of, um, neurological sciences that said there's there's millions if not billions of 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 connections between your gut and your brain so the whole thing of listening to your gut is actually like subconsciously there's some stuff going on there and you should do that i don't know that my gut's ever let me down you know as far as doing that and what i realized is when i get that fear thing in my belly what i've labeled as fear uh it's usually saying hey this is what you need to do next Right. And just accepting that that's not fear. That is actually where you need to go next. And it goes back to I've done a lot of research and study on, on the uh, the crock brain and all the. I mean, there's tons of resources out there of how our brain actually works. And I kind of started tapping into that and kind of believing what the, these authors were saying about it. And I'm like, all right, let me let me try this a couple of times. And the more I've done it, the more it's, it's like just the momentum keeps going. So going back to that very first deal, you know, the one bedroom, one bath house uh on the edge of the hood, you know, I'm like, I, I don't wanna I don't wanna do this. I don't I don't wanna do this. You know, we're we're about to be new parents. Um am I am I gonna get shot, you know, over here working on stuff and being the maintenance guy. What kind of tenant are we gonna get? All those fears, all those stories that I was telling myself, none of that came true. Like none none of it. Like we had an amazing tenant. Um we had uh we never really had an issue with um with the house with the neighborhood matter of fact the uh dilapidated uh shack across the street a developer came in and bulldozed it down and built a brand new house which just did nothing but improve the the, the value of the neighborhood yeah. like all these things started happening and i'm like all right so what was i so worried about well i was worried about the stories that i was telling myself so get out of my own head get out of my own way is kind of the the message right is is stop telling yourself stories just just get that first deal done With an educated, you know, risks factor. Risk is not going to go away. It's just, do you know what the risks are, and are you willing to accept them? Right.
1: And I think I think the riskiest thing that you can do is nothing. Um, Absolutely. I mean, that's if if just imagine, had you not got started in real estate, and then COVID rolls around, you get laid off your full time job, you would have had you'd had nothing. You you'd have had to likely taking a lesser paying job and a, probably a job you were overqualified to do move to a place you didn't want to go. Like there's think of all the different scenarios that could have gone yeah. even worse than uh, the ones that had you just done nothing. Right. Yeah. So I, I think that I, I live by that is like, I, I'm in the military. I'm in special operations and and we get talked a lot about, you know, fear overcoming fear. And there's this uh, thing that we get diagnosed with called optimism bias and I have yeah. kind of the opposite end of the spectrum from when I first got started, which I have this uh, this almost biased belief that everything's just going to be okay. It's, <laughs> it's it's like the pe- people
0: when I tell I have a partner story, like that, by the way, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like we're a good I'll yin and yang. Fine. Sometimes we'll be fine, we'll be fine. It's good, blah, blah blah, right? But I think
1: either either side of the spectrum, you have to have just enough education to make the first step. Yeah, right. Uh, people, people. Uh, and I was on a, a mastermind call the other day where somebody had introduced themselves like, I'm here looking to learn. And the person leading the mastermind says, you're not learning anymore. We're doing today. And I thought that Constance. was such a great concept. It's like, if, the, it's if you're already here on this call, you've learned enough to get going. And you have a yeah. group inside this call to help you get moving. So just take the first step and get it going. Um, now, you don't want to be cavalier and just go throw money at something. I every, In fact, yeah. every time I've lost money, it's because I jumped into something I had no clue what I was doing. I entered a new market. I didn't know what was going on or I invested in Bitcoin. When I didn't know what the hell it was. Um, <laughs> right. I mean, but I, I take small steps towards it to get a little bit of education i call that my tuition and now uh for yeah. as far as bitcoin goes i know i don't want to invest in bitcoin anymore that's kind of <laughs> what, what i learned uh but yeah for sure so where did you go from there you had your one deal small twenty five thousand dollar deal um, yep. kind of give me the synopsis of, of where you went from there and where you're at today
0: yeah so we You know, we, we, I still, and that mindset, right? This is eight eight years ago is that I've got to do this with all of my own money and I've got to do it just by myself, my, my wife and I. So we took the next year trying to figure out where we're going to come up with more money to buy. I mean, we were living paycheck to paycheck as it was. Uh, and, and to buy our next one, right? So we took about a year, uh, maybe a little bit longer than a year, and then we bought um our next investment property, which is exactly what you you just mentioned. I saw a a I didn't it was a, a two couple mobile homes. I didn't know anything about the neighborhood, didn't know anything about the asset uh, type or whatnot. I saw hey, it's a cheap price here. Are what rents are supposed to be? And I dove in right and um. I, biggest one of the biggest mistakes I've made investing was doing exactly that because of what you just said I didn't know anything I thought hey man this is cheap we can afford it let's do it We held on to those uh for about three years and ended up uh, essentially dispositioning them at the tune of a ten thousand dollar loss after all was said and done. So, uh, where we're at today, you know, we've, I've, I've do a little bit of everything today. I, I've, I've GP'd LP, uh, and JV multifamilies. Uh, I do some note investing. Uh, we've got some, we've got our, our primary house has been converted to an Airbnb. Uh, what else? Uh, I've done some private money lending. So I'm kind of all over the board. Our, our portfolio, I think it's funny when, when folks come on and say, yeah, I've got 1500 units in my portfolio. I'm like, do you, or do you have like 1% of the 1500, you know? So, uh, and I was, I filled out a questionnaire for another podcast and they are like, how many units are you part of? And I was like, this is not, this is not relevant. doesn't matter. Like I, I, I can tell you my experience. If you wanna know, the number has been multiple hundreds, but today it's, it, it's like a hundred and something. And I'm like, but the fact is we're sitting on a bunch of cash because we were taking advantage of what the market's been doing. You know, and that's not, that's never really part of the entire story. So, um, so, you know, right now we, we do a little bit of everything I've learned in this nomadic lifestyle in the last year. I have grown more personally, uh, um, in the last year, cause it's, it's challenging with three kids and, and doing what we're doing. But, uh, then I want to be more passive than anything, no. <laughs> than anything. I want to be more passive. So, that's the, the I'm look we're looking at note investing, uh, pretty hard. Matter of fact, we're, we're about to close on our second uh, just note straight up purchase, and then um, um, our our goal Ed, that we've kind of discovered or, or over the last year is we really like certain areas of the southeast. that we, well, actually I should say the U.S. And so we, as a family, we want to have two or three airbnbs or short-term rentals right and the thought of it is that we're going to live in those once uh during the off season of wherever they are right so uh if we get a place in vermont or maine don't be surprised because we absolutely loved it when we went up there last summer and you know but a lot of people like to go up there and go snow skiing and and playing in the snow we we're not big snow fans we don't we don't like it you know so i could see you know in the next couple of years our summers are spent in the Northeast. Our winters are spent probably in Eastern Tennessee and Pigeon Forge and Gatlinburg. And then we'll have to see about the summer because uh, our house in Florida stays pretty booked and it does really, really well as a short-term rental there. So that's kind of where we're at today. But we're always looking. Uh, like last Friday, I was on a call. There's a, a guy in the mastermind presenting a multifamily deal that I'll probably invest in. And um always looking to, to add to the portfolio with... You know, I, I get asked this a lot is how do you, how do you evaluate markets and how do you evaluate deals? And the the transparent answer is I don't put a lot of work into it. I see who's representing the deal. How comfortable am I with them? And if I'm comfortable with them and I know just enough, like I know more about the person than I know more about the deal. Right. And as long as I'm, I'm okay with them, then I'm more than likely going to invest.
1: Uh, it's that it's trust right everything's kind of hinge point on trust um so how do you whenever you have a new um general partnership pitching you a deal as an lp like you're looking at through the lens of an lp right what's the best way that general partnership can build trust with you
0: come talk to me about six months before you have a deal and and create a relationship i i I, there's one rule that i've had for the longest time is i don't invest with anybody that i don't know for at least six months and it's not we have a conversation today in six months we have another conversation and that covers the six that's not what i'm talking about (laughs) you know there's there's got to be more than that And, and that's the minimum requirement right now um i recently uh, entered a partnership, backed out of the partnership after I saw things were going and, and just want to make sure everybody knows that's okay to do. Right. If you, if your gut starts telling you, Hey, this is, you know, uh, this is not a good thing back out of it. And I kind of went back and did a, uh, a postmortem of, of what happened there. And, you know, one of the, the main partners of the deal, I just got to looking at, um, his past relationships. Right. And, and, uh, so I've added a couple of criteria to my list. Like, if if, uh, if a GP has been divorced a couple of times, um, chances are, you know, they don't know how to handle relationships. If they have a history of other partners uh, having issues with them to the point where they're entering legal action against each other, chances are there's relationship issues that are going to go on. And that's just something I'm being extremely picky, right? And, and that's just something I've added to my criteria as far as potential partners. Um, you know, looking at who they are as a person more so than what the deal is looks like, right? Uh, cause I, I honestly, as I, I hate saying honestly, transparently, I can throw a rock and hit probably 15 different syndicators. Yeah. Right. No I mean, they're everywhere. They're, you know, I had lunch with a couple of mastermind members, uh, earlier. What day is it? Uh, earlier this week. And, and one of the guys said, you know, it's funny. Um, the only people I talk to right now or everywhere I look, there's, there's nothing but real estate investors. I was like, well, that's part of the, that's part of the plan, right? Is now you're surrounding yourself with investors. Yeah, and I like, yeah but I, I'm, I feel like I'm competing with the same deals. It's like, well, have you ever talked about partnering with these yeah. folks? And I was like, no, I really haven't, blah, blah, blah. So um, the point of that being, you know, the more you surround yourself with real estate investors, the more you're going to see. I, I kind of feel like everybody I bump into is in real estate investing is in multifamily, right? Or mobile home parks or whatever, like node investing is my new shiny object. Once I once I get into that, I'm going to find out there's this whole world of node investors and I'm going to feel like, well, it's oversaturated. I don't want to be in this space anymore eventually. But the fact of the matter is, is that this these worlds exist and as long as you're surrounding yourself with those people, you're going to be introduced to more and more people who are doing the exact same thing. And that is the point, right? And you're eventually going to find some partners that can really help you build your wealth and you can really help them build their wealth. I don't even know
1: probably 80% of the people in my Facebook circles anymore. Facebook's all, it's become yeah. my LinkedIn at this point. Like I'm in all yeah. the 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 multifamily groups and stuff and like a lot of people it, it is cool when you do go to a uh, a conference or something like that you see people and you're like hey how you doing blah blah well let me look you up and you look on Facebook and you're already friends it's like <laughs> yeah
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> that
1: happened, man. like yeah. Uh, Facebook used to be if I if you was my friend like I knew you I went to high school I knew with you. yeah I was <laughs> you. I, I knew who, everything about you now it's like <laughs> Facebook's like the the minimum uh, yeah, that's cool, man. So, um, and I'm at the same. I'm the same way. Um, whenever we got started in syndications, and first of all, disclaimer: I do not like doing syndications. Syndications really? is a tool to purchase larger property. So let me clear Correct. that out. If syndication is not like a a way of life or a lifestyle, or it's not even a real estate uh, model, it's a capital raising model. So you essentially for some
0: people it is a lifestyle though.
1: Well, I mean they're they're, they're looking at it just because they want unit count, right? Yeah, that, that those those are the folks that are chasing unit count, and or you, the acquisition fee because that's yeah. what they live off of. <laughs> well, essentially, still capital raising model. Um, yeah. So. All a syndication is, is you can syndicate a movie, you can syndicate a book, you can syndicate a casino, you, you can syndicate anything. All it is, is pulling money together to buy something that you can't afford yourself and allowing investors to get involved with it. I like real estate. Syndication was a, a way for me to up the game in real estate and get me in seats at the larger tables. And to understand yeah. how things work, but my goal is not to syndicate forever. I want to syndicate until I don't have to. I much prefer the joint venture model. I much prefer doing it myself. Uh, but one thing syndications does allow you to do is assemble a team on a win-win situation to where you don't have to do all of the things. And I don't yeah. like. I don't like uh, when I, whenever I was purchasing pro, uh, properties by myself, I was the property manager. I was the maintenance. <laughs> guy. I was. I was everything. And doing syndications allowed me to get into the game where the real estate was big enough to remove myself from some of those lines of responsibilities. And that to me was what the most appealing thing was for syndications. And on top of that, when I ran out of money, much like you did, like I invested all of my money and now I've got opportunities uh, that I can't afford to do myself. So I got to pull in some money and then you start to grow partnerships Well, you can start with partnerships. And that's why there's a lot of syndicators in the space, is because they don't have a lot of money of their own. They need to partner with people who do have money, and syndications is a tool to do so. So I don't, I want to be at a stage, and that's the end goal, where I don't need to raise money. I got all the money, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's it. Do something to get there. (laughs) No one's giving away free money. So that is kind of my my goal there. Yeah, uh, (laughs) yeah. Uh, watch out rabbit hole
0: yeah yeah i
1: got you yeah so all right brother so let's talk about your book make an offer Uh, i have not read it but i i want i'm collecting signed copies of books i'm looking up on my desk and i'm up to about six, (laughs) six signed copies of books now and that's within the last year i've never had a book signed by anybody but since i really started getting into this stuff uh People send me signed books. I got six now, but I want one from you, brother. Um, you got it. It's coming your way. It, but, but tell me <laughs>
0: about it. What, what, what is the concept
1: of making an offer?
0: It is basically kind of what we talked about earlier is, is get out of your own way. You know, analysis paralysis affects all of us. It, it affects, you know, even me today when we're transitioning into a different asset type. And that's one thing I love about uh, real estate, right, is, is we, we, we started with single family um, we felt kind of pressure points. Couldn't find any kind of deal that really met met our criteria. Wouldn't allow us to grow as fast as we could. So then we started looking at multifamily, right, and being a syndicator and joint venture partner and whatnot. And so the idea, the premise of the book is really geared toward beginner investors who have never done a deal before and they can't get out of their own way. And at the end of each chapter, it's a parable. It's it's a it's a parable uh, story. Um. A lot of the, uh, a lot of the names have been changed to protect the innocent kind of thing. And, um, but at the end of each chapter are some very actionable, going back to your comment earlier that you heard at the mastermind was, was, uh, you're not here to learn, you're here to do, right? So at the end of each chapter, there are steps for, for the reader to take to, to get them to close on their first deal. Right. It's a very short book. Um, it just came out on audible uh, a couple of days ago and the, the timestamp on it was two hours and 52 minutes. So it's bet. a very, very quick read. Um, and and it's, it, it's basically geared toward somebody who's done anywhere from zero to three deals and you're really nervous about getting to your next. And it's just really, I've had uh, some folks in my mastermind who did me a solid and downloaded the book and, and went and left me a review on Amazon came back to me and said, I, I really enjoyed it. Like I, like it really kicked my, kicked me in the butt, right. To, to go ahead and to start taking some action stuff. So, uh, that's it. It's, uh, it's really geared toward that beginner investor wanting to, wanting to get their first deal done, but can't find the courage to take that next step.
1: That's good, man. I'm going to, I'm going to listen to it. I'll start listening to it on my way into work. That's kind of my, uh, that's kind of, (sighs) Hopefully that
0: will end one day. <laughs> got the, got the, but you're, doing, you're making the most of it right now, right? <laughs> you're, you're, hey, I was an audible junkie, and I still find time to listen to, to books, but that was my commute, man. It was podcast and audio books. And, uh, and uh, when I got laid off, that, that just went plummeted. And now I I have to find time around, you know, when the kids are not screaming and yelling and go for a walk for my mental health reasons. But when I'm doing the, yeah. doing the walk, I'm just listening to audio books. So, so
1: I do want to dive into your current lifestyle. Um, yeah, because I think there's a lot of people who desire that. Uh, and, and you're at a good time where your kids are young. And I imagine you guys are turning moments into memories on a daily basis, just having new things and fun stuff, uh, to check out, explain what it is you're doing and how people, how people, even if they do have a W2, they can work remotely or something, uh, can do
0: this. So. You know, nobody's really ever asked me that. We don't really have it figured out, by the way. <laughs> we're we're getting there. But the last... Uh, it was... So I got laid off in May of 2020. May 1st, matter of fact. I think five minutes after I told my wife about the phone call I had with my boss. She said, great, now we can travel. <laughs> right? And I'm like... Like, wait a minute, my world just got oh, yeah. rocked. Like, like, let's just slow down for a minute. But about, but a year later, she had worked on me enough. And I finally got to understand, okay, yeah, we do need to do this while our kids are young, because when they become teenagers, they're not going to, they're not going to be around mom and dad, you know? So, so we, we took off and, um, uh, we had no idea what we were doing. We bought a utility trailer because of the way we travel, we pack more than what we need just, you know, and we did it that way for the first three or four months and I I did not like that because we were hopping from Airbnb to hotel and staying with friends and family and quite frankly we didn't know like today's Thursday we didn't know where we were going to be staying next Thursday Oof, right yeah. and, and I absolutely hated that well fast forward to this year like we've got through, through the end of at least through the end of August already booked I think there's a week around July 4th that we don't know yet uh, which is coming up fast but as I was walking up here to get ready to to talk to you, she goes, I I, I think I found a someplace. I want you to check it out. So, um, which, yeah. Okay. Here, let's just book it, whatever. Um, but you know, it's, it's one of those things where when we first started this, we were okay, we're going to put our house up as an Airbnb. We feel like it's going to generate some, some really good revenue. And, um, as long as it stays rented, we'll go travel right? Well, now that's morphed into, we really like this lifestyle. Why can't we just get vacation homes everywhere where we want to visit for an extended period of time? And we'll just hop to those while the other ones are being booked, right? And that's kind of the premise. Now, there's a lot of gray area there. <laughs> like, what happens if they all get booked up? Because I'm I'm like the money guy. I'm I'm truly passionate about making sure we live, we leave some generational wealth for our kids, and it's going to be through real estate investing and some other other investing opportunities, like with um bank on yourself, whole life insurance policies, and whatnot. But um yeah, we're we're trying to figure it out. I I think the best thing is one of the things that we come into come into play and i, I, I uh when I, my wife i've now removed myself from saying i want to go anywhere book anything i give a region and i have two requirements it's got to be under this amount of dollars because uh this is our budget um and it's got to have a solid internet connection right yeah. so two questions that we get we go and ask folks is um uh, number one what's your internet like? Is it satellite internet? If it's satellite internet, the conversation stopped there because it's just not good. Also, I bought a uh, T-Mobile hotspot. It's the best thing in the world. They call it home internet for whatever reason we can be zooming on that. Like you and I, like I'm having a mastermind call. Like you and I are talking right now, the kids can be streaming two different TVs through, you know, prime video or whatever. And there's no hiccups whatsoever. Now I know it depends on how good T-Mobile services in the area. Hashtag not sponsored. I don't know if you are, but I'm I'm not, Uh, maybe, maybe maybe we work out a deal with them, but you know, it's figuring it out. And the, the thing that has been impressive the most is just seeing how much our kids grow up and how much they experience and how, you know we stayed in an rv park now we we migrated from the utility trailer to an rv lived in an rv for six six months and you know 400 square feet with three kit like five people three kids it's tight quarters we got used to it and, and then we started having some trouble with our rv got to doing some inspection whole nother story there we had to sell off the rv due to um due to some frame issues that were not disclosed or found in the pre-purchase inspection. Uh, and now we're back to hitting Airbnbs. So here's one of the things that we do that a lot of people don't know. But if you see a, a, a short-term rental, um, we, we always negotiate. We will, we will contact a host and say, hey, we're looking to stay for X number of weeks uh, in this area uh, see your place. We see you have it listed for X amount of dollars per night. Would you consider, you know, this amount, right? And we, to hit our budget, their place is not booked and you can see if it's booked out or, or whatnot. And we typically, we typically look for the places that have their really good ratings and don't have a lot of bookings. And that really helps, helps out. Right. And so if, if you're looking at this, this lifestyle, um, you know, number one, I, one of my minimum requirements is we got to stay somewhere for a couple of weeks. Yeah. So just, just to kind of get settled because we're still running a business, right? We're still, we still got rental properties. Matter of fact, when I hang up with you, I've got to, um, I'm interviewing property managers. I, we, we have an issue with, I don't know if you have a good, uh, good way of identifying property managers or keeping them in line, but we've got one now that he just needs to go and and so <laughs> i i struggle with that as a matter of fact we'll probably take it in-house and probably something me and one other partner will take on because it's a joint venture deal and and um um, but uh yeah it, you know find out what's important to you where you want to go plan to stay for a while i was introduced to the phrase slow travel never heard that before because when we got in the rv and when we first started last year my mentality was, Hey, we're on vacation. Right. And when you're on vacation, you have that weekend or you have that long week or whatnot. And you think, man, we're on vacation. We're here. We got to jam pack as much experiences as we can in this short amount of time. Right. Well, not only does that get really expensive. When we were in New York last, last summer, uh, we were spending 400 and something dollars a day. And I'm like, we can't sustain this. Like, I don't want to sustain this. (laughs) And so, you know, back to our budget conversation, we've learned a lot, but it's basically start slow travel. Everybody does it. Even if you hear this, you're you're probably going to do the exact same thing as we did because we had people who kind of started this lifestyle and they said, look, don't feel like you've got to go anywhere anytime soon. Like it's just take your time, experience where you're at. Don't be in a rush. And what do we do? We got in a rush. We wanted to experience it all. And it was not. And so we found that a month time is kind of optimal, right? It's we get in, especially with the kids and homeschooling the kids and, and whatnot. A month time is, is enough for us to experience what we want to experience, not be stressed out and, and just live. I mean, it's, it's incredible. It's, it's, it's a lot different. So I have this, uh this concept that
1: me and my team were going after RV parks, boutique motels, um, mm. places in travel dependent areas. And people ask me, you know, like, well, how do you how do you analyze the market? Because when you're looking at multifamily, you're looking at population growth, median household income, crime right. rate, all this stuff. Where these little towns, the the, the data is, is kind of obsolete because it's just not enough. <laughs> yeah. I mean one crime can spike the crime rate in that area. Some kid under 18 gets a tattoo or something, it throws the numbers off. <laughs> yeah But reality is, I ask myself, because every time I, li- I live in San Diego, every time I leave San Diego and I go to a small town, lake, stream, waterfall hiking, all the things that I love, which is nature, right? The night before I leave, me and my wife will be sitting down having tea or whatever. And I always say the same phrase to myself, like, why am I leaving this place? (laughs) Why am I leaving the place that I escaped all my problems to get to just to rush back to them? And the reality of it is, is because job that's where the job is that's where i've got my my it's the the town has the hooks in me for me it's the military you know i've got duty to get back to but it sounds like for you whenever you got laid off which everybody i mean that's got that phrase has got some stink on it your wife had been waiting (laughs) and being like (laughs) she was a
0: sniper man she was waiting for me to poke my head out we don't have to leave (laughs) this place anymore
1: And you nailed it, man. The one thing you normally could not get in these small areas was dependable internet and internet technology has shifted. And now with, with uh, Elon Musk's, was it Skynet, Skylink? Something like Uh, that. Yeah. 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 Something coming online. You're going to get dependable internet across the United States, across the world potentially uh, as it develops. And it's going to open up a lot of these smaller markets to these remote workers because, Uh, The the numbers were prior to COVID, it was 6% of the U.S. workforce was able to work remotely. Now it spiked up to 35% last year, and now I think it's it's expected to stay at 25%. That means one in four people in the U.S. workforce can do so remotely, right? Yeah. Now, those people can collect a big city income, but live in small town USA where they probably want to live anyway. Now, there's a lot of people who are, are, are city people. That's They want the yeah. amenities. But what do they do? Everybody escapes the big city into a small town. And if you can work remotely, you can stay longer like you're talking about. I can go stay a whole month until I yeah. got to go back uh, to the population centers. Right. That is a huge difference in the weekend travelers where they're coming now they might not spend as much money in a saturated amount of time but they are going to spend the month the nightly rates to stay there right they are going to they're going to have to stay somewhere whether it be they haul their rv whether it be that they go to stay at a hotel or a motel and a lot of these little markets don't have big, uh, you know, holiday inns or, or Marriott's like that. (laughs) Cause it just does, they don't have the the population or the demand to justify a hundred rooms, but there's certainly 10, 20 room motels that are still owned by mom, pa operators that are getting tired of doing it. And that's where we're That's what we are going after is the small boutique hotels, motels, and RV parks. And you are kind of like, uh, the avatar the person that I've been telling people about, like look man there are people that work remotely now you're doing yours uh passive it's still work you're able to do it yeah but a lot of people definitely in your previous industry the IT world oh yeah are able to work remotely all you need is a computer and connectivity and if we can provide that to people like yourself uh w2 or not that we've got customers and the customer the the customer base has shifted from somebody who's just trying to get it get it all in the weekend. Just, I got to yeah, get away yeah. from the city, man. I got I got to eat out every night. I want steak. I'm going to do a hike every no. These people are just coming out to live be peaceful for a little while. And uh, and you can capture that because there is your customer. So I'm glad we had this conversation because you are the 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 person that I have been telling people that's coming the the future customer of the small town USA. And uh, yeah. the proof is in the pudding. We have a couple small motels that we have one under contract in a small area. I mean, right around it is just uh, you can swim with manatees, you can go to springs, <laughs> you, can, you can river raft, you can do all the things that you want to do. That right, you- Clearwater. Uh no, it's in North Florida, but it's it's not it's not a pla you wouldn't be able to go to Tallahassee and swim with a manatee, right? You, you yeah, wouldn't yeah. Be able to, you know, uh, or, or, or or you know, maybe like Chattanooga or something like that, you could do some river rafting. But big cities just don't have these amenities. And if they yeah. do, they're overcrowded and you're trying to escape something well yeah the place to escape is a place with low population and that those are the places that i'm actually looking at I, two years ago i would have been i would have been like uh, three thousand people in this town Hell, right? <laughs> no way i ain't gonna invest in no three thousand. <laughs> but but now there's a market for it and it's shifting yeah. and i'm i'm uh, you're you're the proof in the pudding for that that proof of concept so all right jay so what i'm gonna do now brother I'm going to ask you the same questions that I ask everybody who comes on the Guerrilla Estate Investing Podcast. Uh, the first question is going to be, what is your definition of success?
0: Man, You know, my father-in-law asked me this a long time ago, probably when, when we were first, my wife and I were first starting dating. And, and I, just the spur of the moment, I said, man, it, it's, it's happiness, right? And it's, it's different for everybody. But I think we can all agree that success breeds happiness, right? So if you're, if you're happy, you're successful, right? And we're going to have highs and lows and, in, in in all facets and chapters of our lives. But I think ultimately when success comes down to it is, is happy and there's nothing that's going to make me more. Ha- and, and why I generalize it like that is because happiness to me, pr- previous being a father was a lot different than being a father today. Right? Like, um, uh, uh, yesterday, uh, my son and I, I was teaching him what a trot line is and how to catch catfish and stuff yeah. like that. And, and so, uh, yesterday we put one out and we caught three catfish and one turtle. Right. And I'm like, <laughs> and I was like, so, so let me, you know, and seeing his look on his face, uh, for the, I, I, saw, I apologize. That was two days ago. Yesterday we went and put it out again at his request. Hey dad, we're nice. going to go do that thing. I was like, Absolutely, we are. I'm stopping what I'm doing right now. We're going to go do it because it's about to start raining. Not as successful as the day before, but you know that makes me happy. And and to me, I feel like I'm being a successful father. And also, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Ryan Mickler: pr- protect, provide, and preside. And you know, I feel like I'm providing for my family. I feel like I'm you know presiding over them and raising our kids to be the adults we want to we want them to be. And you know that is my current definition of success but I, I feel like i can generalize it by just saying happiness right absolutely
1: man. you're speaking my language that's that brings up a a, a story i, I like to tell stories but my dad uh used to i grew up in louisiana and I remember like th- there's, if there's one thing, if you ask one thing that me and my dad did
0: growing up, it was, you probably, do not have the Louisiana accent, by the way, <laughs> uh, It's
1: yeah, about, about 17 years of being away. It's, you know, it's funny. Uh, people out in San Diego, the first question they asked me, where am I from? And I'm like, eh. <laughs> they,
0: they pick up on
1: it. But, but yeah. if there's, if, if somebody asks me like, what's the memory you remember about your dad? It would be catfish trot lining catfish, like Not no really. kidding, exactly, and it a hundred percent illegal. I didn't know it at the time, but, but I, re, I remember my dad. He used to wake me up so early. God, it was early because he, he wanted to do it with me before he went into his job. to work, yeah. I would have to go out to the ditch in the front yard and scoop the ditch with a, uh, a like a net and catch crawfish yeah. crawfish yeah this is, <laughs> this is how Louisiana I am dude uh, we catch the crawfish Crawfish, and if I couldn't catch crawfish my dad had this big old bucket of stink cheese right? <laughs> that, he, that was his back
0: you he were crawfish. motivated to catch crawfish yeah, it, it, because it, you it, did it, not want to mess with that stuff <laughs> yeah,
1: 100% and that, that was yeah that was kind of the motivation like if I don't catch any damn crawfish dude I'm gonna have to be baiting these lines with stink cheese and god yeah. damn but he, he would pick me up uh you know like 15 minutes doing that he picked me up on the side of the road and we go out launch the boat and we would just catfish and i used to hate it I used god dang why do i gotta get up and do this but once we were out on the boat and i'd see the the water swirling right because as you're as you're pulling the line you see the water swirling oh man i'd get so excited and i was i was the net man like he would pull the line and i would scoop up the can we catch 15 20 catfish sometimes in a morning and we usually get some eels and some turtles and whatever. And I get to <laughs> play with them. But, uh, that, that memory now that I'm an adult, that's the, the main, th- I hated it as a kid. Cause I had to get up yeah. early, but dad yeah. made me do it. But that is the main thing I remember about me and my old man. And <laughs> now looking back, I remember how I realized it was illegal because, uh, we heard a boat coming one day and my dad had this little hook and he would uh hook the line and let it go down in the water. And he would pull up
0: a, a fish, he would pull up a fishing pole
1: and act like he was just fishing. And I'm like, Dad, what are you doing? He's like, I don't want nobody to know my good spots.
0: All right. Well, there you go. It probably wasn't illegal. Uh, no, it was illegal. it <laughs> was
1: it? I'm am pretty sure it was illegal to do. It was all the way across the river. But man, that was such a good memory. And uh, yeah. you know, my dad ran his own business. And, uh, you know, he kind of, I said he owned his own job because he had to be there every day. But the one thing he was able to do is he never missed a baseball game. You know, he he never missed a recital. He never missed a graduation or a birthday or anything like that uh but but he had to get up early and go to his job every single day and he was happy to do so cuz he could take his boys catfishing and, and that yeah. that made him happy he still <laughs> he still goes out and fishes today and i i need to get back to that kind of stuff cuz i don't yeah. there's not a lot of catfishing out in san diego but i
0: bet i bet <laughs> yeah man that's
1: funny so, sorry to interrupt your answer with this no it's good I, I hadn't heard somebody talk about trot lining in a long time that's good <laughs> <laughs> yeah out here in california good, man, as people trot line with What's that?
0: <laughs> well, I went I went into one of these big box stores uh in and looking for a trot line because we didn't have one, right? And I go up to a lady working there and she and it's it's an outdoor store, right? And I was yeah. like, y'all, I couldn't find it. it took me f- felt like forever. So do you have trot line? She goes, A trout line? I was like, No, oh, a trot <laughs> a trot line. She goes, A trout line? I was like, No, a trot line. I was like, say it without the u She goes, Oh, a <laughs> trot line. She goes, I don't know what that is. What is that? And this guy, and I stand there dumbfounded because she's in the fishing section. She's stocking shelves. Right. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know how to explain to you what this is. Like mainly because you're in the fishing section and you're stocking shelves (laughs) and this guy This guy standing over here says he he, he's just another patron, right? He's there buying stuff. He goes, "It's kind of like a skinny clothesline." He goes, "I think they're 2 aisles over."
1: <laughs> Perfect. Like, Thanks man. Perfect. Appreciate it. <laughs> <So> <laughs> a clothesline for fish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs>
1: All right, Jay. Next question. What's the biggest mistake you've made and what have you learned from
0: it? Uh, biggest mistake is is is, is really Man, do you see how serious I got just then? We yeah. went from racking, uh, beating up the lady at the the sporting goods <laughs> store. And man, I got serious real quick. Now, the, the biggest mistake that I, I've probably made is I tell myself stories that just never come true. And it all comes down from that fear of hey, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if we go bankrupt? So, wh- what if we do go bankrupt? You know i'm like to the point it it is what it is we maybe we made some poor maybe you know sometime in the future we make a really poor investing decision and we end up there and and you know one of the things that i I feel like really held us back and because it took us um six seven years of investing before we surpassed our our w2 income um does not align with the layoff, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, and it's, it's one of those things where I, I kind of look back and say, you know, how do folks in the mastermind that I lead, how are they able to do it in two years, three years, and four years? And basically, they, they're not only – I wouldn't say they're willing to take bigger risk. They, they just – they don't have the fear that I had. Right, and they go and they they've they've done the right thing. to surround themselves with with like minded people, and people who are a little more experienced than them, and leaning on them and saying, "Hey, I'm in this situation. Have you ever you ever been able to experience this before?" And they're like, "Yeah, let me tell you what I did, right? And let me tell you how I handled it." And they they have done it uh, exponentially faster, in my opinion, and it's because I don't see them having these fearful like they rarely show up for the virtual calls and say oh my gosh, I'm so scared this is going to happen. And if they do, if a new investor does come in and, and, and that happens, we set them straight, you know? And, and that's kind of the biggest thing is stop telling yourself, um, if you are telling yourself these horror stories of what may happen with a syndication or buying an RV park, then stop telling yourself, stop wasting resources on telling yourself stories and go talk to people who are in that industry. And I think you're going to find there's, there's two different scenarios there one the false idea that you're telling yourself and two what actually happens
1: and i will say this the the fear never goes away it just the the pro the, the potential risks just get bigger right um and you have to overcome and work through fear because like the, the same feeling i had in my stomach when i did my first deal is the same feeling i have in my stomach when i do every deal the deals sure. are just bigger and I haven't realized the consequences of the new problem yet. And I call this the comfort zone, right? Um, yeah. if, if I talk a lot about comfort zone, cause we had talked a lot about it in the Navy and every time you do something, well, you're now comfortable with it. So the next thing that you do, if it's the same thing, well, you're, you may, you may see growth uh, on your bottom line, but you're not seeing your personal growth because it's impossible to grow inside your comfort zone. Right. And, and I, and I guess the analogy that I have is what's more important in the gym, right? The first 10 reps where you're refreshed and, uh, and and you're ready and your body's not broken down or the last two to three, where you really have to push to get those reps, right? Well, those last two or three, is the growth the first ten is what it took to get to the edge of your comfort zone, so you're fine with that that's maintenance. the last three yeah. is growth, and I try to find properties any property or anything that I do uh if I've done it before, man, I get so bored with it like I really yeah. if, you, if you look at my <laughs> if you look at my, my my breadcrumb trail, none of the properties are exactly the same, or the yeah. problems weren't exactly the same almost to my detriment, because if I would just stick to one thing, I would probably be able to like make it extremely efficient, dial it in and, and, and scale it way past what I'm currently doing. But I just get bored with it. It's not personal growth. If I've done it before, I don't want to do it again. I want to, you know what I mean? Like I want to do it plus, right? So whether it be, I've done a renovation or I've, I've, uh, I've, I've bought a 10 unit or whatever it is. The next one needs to be a 10 unit with a renovation. And you know, all these problems. <laughs> I gotta have something that's going to help me grow. Uh, and that's kind of how I look at things. It's like once I've, uh, how can I get my comfort zone to be just a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. Um, and I, and I think that's exactly what you're talking about. And really your yeah. fear right now, uh, something that I observed about you is like, you're the most well-suited to fail exponentially because what's the worst that could happen you lose your job you have to be homeless for a while you have to travel around the country yeah. finding places to stay figure out how to uh, live in small confined spaces that's the yeah. worst that could happen and you're like adapted to this lifestyle like you want it <laughs> you know what i mean so
0: well i i was i was totally against it i fought it for a year and then i finally gave in and um now it's like the tables have turned like i i want to go get another rv and let's do that lifestyle some more. And the wife's like, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's tight spaces. <laughs> and so, so, uh um, yeah, it's, it's one of the, I, I think you're right. I, I don't know that, that fear goes away. I do think that you learn how to manage it differently. Right. And if you, if you've done it before, you know, I, um, I, I'm constantly challenging my kids to the point where my wife will say it's dangerous. Right. But it's, you know, the easy example is, <laughs> I don't know why old people have tall beds. Maybe I'll figure that out when I get older. But we're staying at my parents' house. All their beds are tall, right? I don't, I don't, I don't know why. But my three-year-old, she can't get off of them, or she yeah. thinks she can't, right? And so I'm like, figure it out, get down, you know. And and the first time she did it, it took her probably twenty minutes of kicking <laughs> and screaming. <Gross. laughs> but but after that, she's she she's done it every time. You know, and and so I'm like, all right, so now now what are we going to jump off of, (laughs) you know, with 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 some parental supervision? But uh, yeah, it's it's I think you just learn to manage it differently. Yeah.
1: And to me, the fear, the the word fear and being scared is very close to being hopeful and confident. Right. It's just the opposite Mm -hmm. of the opposite side of the spectrum. You can do something about being fearful. You can push through, yeah. like fear is good. It keeps you grounded. It, 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 lets you know, it gives you like, we have a saying in the military is like, fear is what makes you feel alive. Cause without fear, like you, you know, like you're yeah. constantly searching something to put you on the edge. And if you're just hopeful, that means you're not doing anything about it. But if you're confident, that means that yeah, you have hope and you can do something about it. So don't be scared have fear sure but push through it but being scared that's something that that's very hard to push through do you think people
0: are addicted to fear
1: (laughs) adrenaline yeah i I think uh, and i know quite a few adrenaline junkies and i'm sure you do (laughs) yeah like we skydive we scuba dive we you know have dudes been you know been with them in combat and uh yeah, you know, it's it's not necessarily that you're chasing fear; it's you're chasing the ability to overcome your fears, and that yeah. that's such a good feeling. And you can apply that to anything. And some guy, like we talked about, the optimism optimism bias that's a real thing uh, that you just think it's going to be okay, and you're searching that edge to where maybe it won't be okay. Maybe yeah. I will lose everything, <laughs> and then when you overcome it, you're like, "Oh shit, it will be fine.
0: It will be fine." Um, yeah,
1: like yeah. I was watching a uh, a documentary the other day called The Alpinist. And this guy was like free base climbing, uh, like free base climbing means no ropes, climbing, right. scaling large mountains with no ropes. And so he talked about the consequence of that being huge. Well, he took it to another level and started free base climbing uh, frozen waterfalls. So like every pick of the axe means that uh, uh, he could have like died. He eventually did die at like 26 years old but there was something going on with that. He was chasing something like everybody called him fearless and he was, he ended up dying, which sucks. But like that guy had something, he was just a fearless person, like hanging on with an ice pick on the like cliffhanger style wasn't enough. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I I was having
1: anxiety yeah. just watching him from my bed on the television. Yeah. And this dude's like, Hanging on the edge of like a, I don't know, four thousand foot cliff. I'm like, holy shit, dude! <laughs> like, God, never. Yeah. All right, Jay. Uh, let's get to the to the last question. I Ask everybody what really bruises
0: your bananas in the world of real estate. Um, and I'm guilty of this, so I feel like I've got some experience that I can provide. This, but there, there are way too many opinions out there on everything uh real estate related. I got into an on, uh, mm-hmm. online argument. but a the guy it. who, yeah, he posted something about, you know, the Airbnb or short term rental market. And I asked him, you know, Hey man, tell me about your experience. And he goes, well, I don't have any. I'm like, why, why do you have an opinion on it? Why are you? And, and, you know, this goes back to, I saw something this morning. I, 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 um, what is it I showed, uh, I I reserved, I didn't, I didn't comment on it on anything or I just saw this and it happens everywhere and it's becoming commonplace where people will take a subset of data and make it like it is the broad stroke brush of everything that's happening. Right. And the piece of data this morning they showed was the, you know, the six months or, um, the supply the amount of new housing development supply for the entire U.S., right? And it was six months. Well, if, if you believe that six months supply means we're in a buyer's market, then, then that's what they were trying to project, right? Do I feel like we're headed into a buyer's market within the next six to 12 months? Absolutely. Right. You can't have interest rates go up, people's buying power is coming down, prices are gonna come down, things are gonna sit on the shelf a little bit longer. But what they were portraying was here's a broad stroke of the entire US that should fit into your yeah. r- local market. And it's just not the case. You know, and I stopped making there was a lady in our ma- in my mastermind one time in uh, very well off. Her husband does extremely well, and she was in there, she wanted to find properties that they could use she cared cared less about cash flow and i was like what do you mean i was like do you invest for appreciation she goes i don't care about appreciation she goes my husband makes so much money we've got to figure out how to lose money right now and i was like what do you mean she goes we don't invest for cash flow we invest for tax flow like we need the write-off and i was like. My my mind blew like I've never heard of this before. How how are people not talking about investing for tax flow? Mm. And and she was she was they look for properties that they can buy that they may use every now and then, but for the most part, it's a write off for them. They need a tax write off to reduce their and they know that if they hold on to it long enough, then they're gonna be able to sell it for this huge appreciation because where they're buying is in these markets that are appreciating really fast i mean they're buying class a assets and while they may go down over the next couple of years or whatnot they don't care because they're going to own them for the for the long haul and they just needed a place to put money into that's going to offset their huge tax bill and when i when i saw that i was like you know what i need to stop making predictions about what the market's going to do what what I feel like is going to happen in my area. Cause I'm guilty of it. I've, I've look and see what's happening in markets we invest in. I'm like, it's not good. This is not good. And then I'm like, why well, not everybody invest in this market? No, nobody, nobody's really gonna care. And they, and I shouldn't present my opinion, uh, as a broad stroke of this is happening everywhere. So that, that really bruises my bananas when people, when they do that and, and they feel like they've had some sort of following on social media and make some authority when, uh, and so the point of me saying that is if you guys are watching this or listening to this and you see somebody out there and you don't know, them, just ask them, hey, tell me about your experience in this, whatever they're talking about. And if they don't have any, then just write them off. Like this is not somebody's opinion I want to uh, listen to you know, so that, that really, that gets me fired up. gets me jazzed. The, the, phrase,
1: <laughs> the phrase that comes up is, is look for the vice and advice, right? Cause not everybody's advice is applicable to you. Not everybody's advice is applicable to what you, your definition of success. Like there's people right. who glorify the grind and they basically get out there and work all the time to build up your net worth and all that stuff. And t- when I hear that, I'm like, Hell no, dude. I get one chance at <laughs> this life. I get one chance. Do I work hard? Yeah, I work hard. Yeah, But I work hard at my W-2 and I work hard at real estate. And whenever I'm off, I play hard. I play real hard too. Like, <laughs> you have got to have that balance. And this, so those types of opinions, I just disregard them because it doesn't, it's not necessarily it's bad information. It's just not applicable to me. And anytime someone takes a broad stroke USA opinion, what they've done is they've read the headline from somebody who um, yeah. basically, basically is an analyst and is just trying to give information that's uh, the, the, ice, the tip of the iceberg for what to look yeah. for. You have got to be able to dial that down specifically from the macro to the micro, what's applicable to me in the markets that I'm in. And I do think market analysts, market analysis is extremely important in the large multifamily world where you're buying large chunks of the inventory because those fluctuations, those small one and 2% population fluctuations matter in large markets. Um, But if you're doing, if you're into short-term rentals, well, the, 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 the population growth of that town's not necessarily that important to you because nobody coming to your area cares if people are leaving that town to find jobs elsewhere, they're coming to visit and some of the local amenities that cannot be, cannot leave right like yeah. uh the, unless it's like a big city and there's going to be a lot of delinquency in that city and crime rates are going to go up because a major employer has left that might have an impact on you uh but that's more so the amenities of the town less so the job availability people that are visiting your town don't they're not going there to get a job they're going there to leave a job uh you know to get away yeah. from a job so, like when people talk about diversity, there's so much diversity within real estate itself. What I lost money in Shreveport, Louisiana, doing multifamily, there was somebody right down the street doing new housing developments, making a lot of money. And where yeah. I made money in multifamily, there was Fixer and Flippers who were, who were, uh, you know, getting their houses handed to them because everybody was collapsing out of fix and flips or new homes into apartment complexes. So there is ways to lose money in a good market and there's ways to make money in a bad market. But if you are in the multifamily space, your chances of losing money in a market are higher if you don't pay attention to what that, that local market is telling you uh, specifically. So that's my that's my opinion on that take it or leave it
0: <laughs> no no it's good i i think it, you know real estate is just so so local you know mm-hmm. i mean you're talking about um uh investing in small towns and i'm from a small town and and you know an unpopular podcast that i put out it was hey my, my hometown is dying you know and because uh you look at the population growth and, and it is negative and from the last census and um the two biggest employers, uh, the only two big employers uh, for the city, they both have gone. One left 20 years ago, the other one left, excuse me, one left about 10 years ago, the other one left about 2 years ago. And you look at the side of town where the one that left 10 years ago and it's, it's going down and it's been going down tremendously. And you look at the one that left a few years ago, uh, which is they're on opposite sides of the town. And you can start to see, all right, when now the Hardee's is gone, when now the, the uh, grocery store is gone, when now this is gone and, and things of that nature. So I, I, you know, but if somebody would say, man, real estate in Alabama is, is popping. It absolutely is in certain markets yeah right mobile huntsville uh some tertiary markets around those but where i'm sitting right now no it's it's not so yeah. you, you know you got it is extremely local uh just like people's opinions should be
1: <laughs> <laughs> awesome all right jay well if people want to get a hold to you uh find out more about you what's the best way for them to reach you
0: so they, they can email me directly. It's J at W2caplist.com. It's J A Y at W2capitalist.com. Or if you want to check out, you know, what we've got going on with the W2 Capitalist, just it's W2caplist.com. Awesome, man. Cool.
1: So give uh, Jay's book, make an offer a listen on Audible, or you can, you can purchase it on Amazon, correct?
0: Absolutely. Yes, sir.
1: All right. Awesome. I'd look
0: forward to my signed copy as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, yeah. <laughs> I'll need your address. I got a, I got a couple laid around here. So
1: <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Jay. Guys, look Jay up. Get your ass out of the middle class. Make an offer today.
0: All right. So, uh, give
1: him, give him a like, a follow, a share. And if you haven't done so, go on to Facebook and sign up for from Middle Class to Millionaire. Uh, and look, look forward to to meeting you again and talking again, Jay uh, soon. Jay, thanks for coming on the Absolutely. show. Absolutely. Thanks, Ramsey. Thanks for listening to the Guerrilla State Investing Podcast, where we give you the ground pounding truth about what it takes to be successful in real estate. (laughs) Learn more at realfocus.org slash guerrillastatepod.